At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite Lorecast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Welcome back, friends. This is the Mass Effect Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, and I'm here with my good buddy, N7 the Legend, Sam. It's good to see you again, man. How's, how's it going? I'm, I'm well. I moved into my new apartment, and um, for those with, I was going to say eagle eye, eagle ears. Ears to the, hear? <laughs> eagle ears. For those with a fine-tuned um, audio palette, you might notice less echo now. That's because I'm in an actual tinier room with more soundproofing up, and by soundproofing, I mean blankets. <laughs> perfect perfect yeah we talked about this in the pre-show and those actually work really well so uh congratulations that's so fun man i'm glad everything's looking good like you all you like everything's packed away like you feel like does it feel like your place yet or does it still feel new it new you, yeah. you ever move somewhere and then you have that that like lingering anxiety like is this permanent am i really gonna be here like this doesn't feel like home yet mm-hmm. that's kind of where i am yeah, well, it'll adjust within within like a month or so. You'll be like, oh, this just feels like my place now. But uh, yeah, so we're we're back. We had a fun time talking with our patrons recently, and and we're back. What are we talking about today? Today we are going to be talking about the flagship of the Mass Effect series, uh, none other than the SSV Normandy SR One. And you know, we've been uh, we've been talking about characters and individual people in the series. Um, but I did say a while ago that we were going to alternate between those and topical episodes. That way it didn't get stagnant and dry. Um, and now we're going to be talking about the ship, uh, not the SR2 necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a reason for that we'll get into. Uh, but yeah, we're talking about the Normandy SR1 today. Nice. I mean, the ship is kind of a character in its own way. If you think about yeah, it. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's it's one of those, it's like the star, the star sh- what is it? Uh, the Enterprise? Yes. Star Trek's? Yeah. yeah. It's it's iconic for right. the series. Right. And, and that's I think that's part of what's cool about sci-fi series like these. Like, if you think about it, every every major sci-fi series, there's a cool, cool freaking ship. And there's a reason yeah. why the ship is so cool. And this is, like, no different. So, yeah. So, I'm excited to get into this. All right. Where do we start? So, there's two things that we got to talk about right away, and that's uh, we got to define the ship as a systems alliance scout frigate. Um, now, this probably seems obvious to some people, but these are two important elements that we should uh, elaborate on first. Uh, first of them being the alliance. So, number one, the alliance. It's obvious, like I said, but in Mass Effect 1, I think a lot of players get confused why our protagonist, Shepard, is is just allowed to commandeer an Alliance ship and just do Citadel Spectre stuff with it. You know, just all of a sudden, this is cool now. Yeah, you just take the military ship, that's fine. 
yeah go go do your citadel things with it right um so you know why would the alliance just be cool with losing not just a ship but a high cost prototype and i think that there's um three answers to that number one we need to remember that it wasn't just a human design ship Number one, it was it was a joint project with the Turians to design a type of ship never before seen, a stealth frigate. And uh, number two, it, it's not like it's not like everyone in the alliance was cool with it. <laughs> right, it, it didn't go off that easy. <laughs> right, not everyone was on the same page. Like, like oh, they good. said in the series, good, good, put, good idea. Let's do this. Yeah, put three humans in a room and you'll get six opinions. So, <laughs> uh, so not everyone was cool with it. People in high positions like Udina and Hackett signed off on it, and they were tolerant of it, I think, in the name of contributing to galactic defense and showing good faith on humanity's part, like, hey, you know, we're here to play nice in the sandbox, too. Um, but Rear Admiral Mikhailovich didn't seem to be happy with not having the Normandy in his fleet. If... You remember he's the officer who who shows up in Mass Effect One at the docking bay, in the Citadel, and he demands on the spot a full inspection of the Normandy. And mm-hmm. at that point, I think most players are thinking, "Well, who the hell is this guy? Yeah, I'm, I haven't yeah. seen him before. This is my ship. Right? Is this and, protocol? What, what's going on here? Right? Right. It, it, well, it turns out that he's the admiral in charge of uh, the command structure that the Normandy would have fallen in had it not, you know. Uh, been part of the um been part of the uh you know citadel specter's personal task force Mm -hmm. uh and so he he demands to see it and technically he still has authority to do so uh so you let him see the ship and when he comes back out he's like blasting the ship's design he calls it uh overkill to put a tantalus drive core in it and he criticizes the cost of uh what it took to make the normandy which was 120 billion credits not nothing to balk at um but he says that 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 money could have went to making 12,000 fighters. That's, like, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of fighters. But I also wonder, like, why would you want or need 12,000 fighters? Uh, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, where, where are they going to go? Um, <laughs> how are you going to transport the, the, the fighters? Right. Um, well, I, but, I think it's figurative. It's just it puts it on a scale. Right. So obvi- right. Like, more likely you would have made 500 fighters and, you know, a, a hundred of these other ships and, you know. Right. Built, built part of a section of a fleet rather than just one ship, right? The game and its voice actors may have been majority Canadian made, but uh, Americans really will use anything except for the metric system. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> um, but uh, no, he, he he's like very, very much um, critical of it. And if you pass some unreasonably high level speech checks at the time, you can put him in his place. Uh, but in the process, we get this feeling that he doesn't like aliens much either. Uh, and he poo-poos the CIC's design with the commanding officer standing above the subordinates. And, and Shepard can enlighten him that that's actually a Turian design thing. Uh, and he also doesn't like the fact that Shepard has alien crewmates. Mm-hmm. So right. right away, we're like, oh, is this guy racist? You right. know, because he's just so anti-alien. Right. And we just got all these, like, crewmates, and we're like, oh, this is awesome. And now we have somebody, like, right. saying, well, your crew sucks. And we're like, you suck. What are you yeah, talking exactly. about? Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. My, these are my Go, friends. 
I don't even know you, dude. And you just showed up at my ship and now you're blasting my friends. Like, <laughs> what? yeah, screw you. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, like I've said before, our knee jerk reaction might be to say that this guy's racist. Right. But honestly, from a from an admiral's point of view, he does have a leg to stand on from an operational security uh, concern point of view, because it is an operational security hazard that the Alliance, the humans military, is letting their prototype ship, cutting edge technology, bleeding edge technology, and they're letting aliens walk around, you know, untethered, unhindered, you know, you have full access to the ship. Sure, um, sure. I understand where he's coming from with that. I understand the security concerns, um, but he clearly just has a bone to pick with the ship. Like he's just, it's not just about that. It's like, he's looking for stuff, right? He's yeah. nitpicking and he's being an asshole about it. Right. And, um, it is interesting though. Why would he get annoyed with the Normandy not being in his fleet, which he says if he didn't like it to begin with, right? No, it's the thing that everybody does. It's the, well, it's the thing that like the jealous lover does, right? Well, you you can only be with me. Well, I don't want to be with you. I'm going to be with this this guy over here. Well, you suck, and yeah, well, I, didn't I didn't want to want be with you anyway. you anyway. Right? And it's like that doesn't make any sense. Now you're just an like, asshole. Yeah. yeah. Now you're just you look pathetic. Right. Yeah. Well, then yeah, we wanted them to be with you, but they're they're not good enough to be. So you either your standards weren't very high to begin with, or you're a liar. <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, not to mention, yeah, I see Sadie Cakes here in chat says, aka, not in my chain of command. So I looked at it as uh, Mikhailovich walking around as a security risk. And that makes sense uh, because, you know, he does seem to be pretty uh, like hostile right off the bat. <laughs> so getting him to go poke around is uh, technically by the book, it's okay, but I would have wanted to escort him. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that, that, just goes back to the point that not everyone is okay with it in the Alliance. Not everyone is on the same page that the Normandy is allowed to be Shepard's personal, you know, mobile headquarters. Um, and number three, it's important to note that the Normandy is still part of Alliance command. Like you may have inferred from that previous just uh, point that we just uh, mentioned. Mm -hmm. And this is also how the Alliance justifies impounding the Normandy the counterfeit one, AKA the Normandy SR2 at the beginning of Mass Effect three, because they're saying, well, it uses proprietary classified technology. And so this, this is, is our anyway. technology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and it, and it took Cerberus did take that from the first one, uh, after it was destroyed in the beginning of Mass Effect two. Sure. Um, so, so it's unique stealth design and, uh, the Alliance jurisdiction over the Normandy is why Hackett bugs us so often to help out with spec ops missions. Uh, you remember all the message message coming in, patching it through. Mm -hmm. uh, all of those from uh, Hackett at the beginning when he's just a disembodied voice in Mass right. Effect 1. Right, right. Um, that's because, you know, sometimes the Alliance needs some something done, um, but they need it done with plausible deniability of its involvement, which is when they call their council specter with the stealth ship. Yeah, it's, I mean... It it's like that for a reason it, it was designed yeah. that way right yeah right yeah exactly um and you know it's also why the council agrees to send the normandy into the terminus systems in mass effect 2 i mean it's not from the bottom of their hearts that they're just like you know what shepherd we don't like you but we're just going to give you the benefit of the doubt no it's shepherd is technically still a specter and um 
well, depending on your choices, technically still a Spectre, but all, regardless, has access to a ship that has unprecedented stealth capabilities. So it won't create a political shitstorm, as Udina would say, mm-hmm. uh, if it gets caught. Yeah, he can fly under the radar, like literally. Literally, yep, yeah. flying under the radar. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so let's talk about the design. Um, we always hear that the Normandy's special, right? But is it special just because it's the protagonist ship? Is there other stuff going on here? Like, what's how's that balance out? Right, and that's a valid question, right? Because we just talked about the Star Star Trek's Enterprise uh, mm-hmm. ship, uh, and obviously that is the protagonist ship, and or, or the, the Millennium Falcon, or the right. Rosinante on the Expanse. Like each of these ships has like, like they're kind of special in their own ways, the but they're B-Bop. also the protagonist ship, which you would expect would be special, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. You expect it to be special, but here here's where the lore you know explains why it's special. Um, so, and that's a perfect transition to the other point I mentioned earlier. Uh, so the Normandy is a frigate. So to understand why the Normandy is so special, even among its own class of ships, uh, we have to define what frigates are in Mass Effect. In the Systems Alliance fleet structure, frigates are meant to be these little escorts for large ships, and they handle anti-fighter defense for the large ships. So, so it's it's like having those uh, little destroyers or the little ships that surround an aircraft carrier. Right, right. Aircraft carriers don't have a lot of natural built-in defenses. Right, they're the uh, line of defense for the greater size ships in the in the in the squadron. Right. They're escorts. Um, And they also provide defensive scanning uh, so that the dreadnoughts at the center of the fleets can be alerted as soon as any attacker exits faster than light flight, Uh, which, you know, that technology, FTL, that makes it incredibly easy for attackers to just surprise uh, fleets. Mm -hmm. They're going through space at faster than light and then they exit that FTL, you know, like wormhole. Drop in. And they're just there. It's like teleporting right into the midst of the battle. Yeah. Right, exactly. You can't detect something that's in FTL, right? But you can detect it when it enters and exits FTL, right? right. Um, which is what the scanners on, on the Normandy and other frigates are built to uh, look for. Um, so this also means that the frigates are not extremely powerful in combat, but they have higher maneuverability than a cruiser or a dreadnought. Um, and you can think of dreadnoughts like battleships. Mm-hmm. Um, so the frigates are supposed to fly in wolf pack formations and interesting that they put it like this in the lore but they're supposed to fly in these com these uh, formations for combat of up to four to six frigates in one formation moving in and destroying ships after fighters have brought down their shields uh but this is interesting because uh although that's the typical structure of frigates in the alliance uh, navy mm-hmm. Uh, that's not how it is for the Normandy. The right. Normandy is almost always alone. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's for stealth reasons. Uh, maybe no, or, or the fact that they don't have multiple ships for, you know, your crew. Exactly. There's that. Yeah. Um, because the Normandy, as we know, at the beginning of Mass Effect 1, is the only uh, type of ship in its own class. It's a frigate, but it's a prototype. Sure. Um, so it's the only one that can be that stealth. Um, which, you know, as, as cringe as it sounds, it, that would make the Normandy technically a lone wolf. Well, it would, you're right. Right. And like, yeah. it is, it is. I'm God. imagining the Normandy with a baby carrier on its chest. 
the <laughs> the uh, I don't know how the, many people the, are going to get that joke, but that's yeah, that's a hangover joke, right? That's a hangover joke. Yes. yes. <laughs> first, uh, we were first. I was a, lo- a one man wolf pack, <laughs> and now I've invited you all into my wolf pack. <laughs> right, right. There's so much of that movie where he's just he's got the baby harness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So the Normandy was a one-man wolf pack. Um, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, as cringe as it sounds, it's, it's true. Uh, it operates alone. And frigates alone, not not just the Normandy, but frigates alone are so quick that it's hard for cruisers and dreadnoughts to actually hit them with long-range fire because they can turn on a dime uh, comparatively to all other ships. So let's say a dreadnought, which needs to be kilometers away from its target to fire, uh, launches a 20 kiloton ferrous slug at a frigate. But by the time that projectile gets to where the frigate was estimated to be, that frigate has already changed course. Right, yeah, it only takes, I mean, there's too much time involved with the traveling of the projectile with the maneuverability of the frigate. It just has to change course a little bit and it's going to miss. So frigates are are virtually invulnerable to uh, large ship fire, which means that you would have to have fighters to bring one down. Mm -hmm. Something that can get in close and personal. Right. Um, Of course, the rules are different if you are a, uh, you know, two kilometer long reaper with a giant laser that travels at the speed of light. Uh, Yeah, lasers kind of change it up a little bit. Even if you're two (laughs) kilometers away, that laser is going to reach you pretty quickly. (laughs) Exactly. And it doesn't seem like the reapers have like, you know, limited ammo. (laughs) It seems like they have unlimited ammo for those It does. Yeah, they've got like these crazy power cells that somehow like supply them. Yeah. They're like hyper futuristic nuclear fusion power cells that are just, uh, you know, feeding, feeding this that's, amorphic blob inside. Yeah, that's what they're doing when they're hiding out in like deep space somewhere is just charging those power cells for like, mm. just like for like, imagine if you could have a battery that had like a really, really, really high amount, like it could store and then you were able to charge it for like centuries and just that keep would, letting it yeah. fill up like. I, mean, yeah, I don't know how that technology works, but holy crap. They're sleeping. They're sleeping. No, they're actually <laughs> they're just, just recharging. recharging. They've all yeah. got little plugs stuck into the nearest star. It's like when you go to the uh, when you go to the zoo or a conservatory and uh, you're like, well, why is this animal or plant not around? And then it has that sign that says, I'm not dead. I'm dormant. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah, it. The, they should put the signs on the reapers. I'm not dead. I'm dormant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, they are one of the largest ships, fr- frigates anyway, not reapers. Uh, but I guess reapers and reapers also uh, <laughs> are applicable to this ne- this next part. Uh, that they are one of the largest ships that can land on a planet side. Uh, dreadnoughts, cruisers, they're too large uh, to land on a planet. Mm-hmm. So the frigates typically carry one squad of marines for military police duty or ground side operations. Um, which is an interesting dynamic that uh, frigates can carry those ground forces, um, even though their primary duty is really just to be an escort for the larger ships. Right. It's, it seems like a size thing. It's just they are sized in a way where they can physically do it. So it, they could be used that way, even though that's not their primary role. Right. 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 And they're so quick that it might outweigh their, their size so that they can escape, you know, orbital velocity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Whereas I think if you landed somehow a dreadnought, <laughs> yeah. it might not be able to take off again. Well, it's like watching Star Wars when they have like um, Star Destroyers like in c- close orbit around a planet, like in atmosphere orbit. Like they do this a few times in some of the shows. And it, you know, it all comes down to whatever that technology is that makes things levitate off the ground that they have. Right. Because obviously those things are not staying airborne through like physics. <laughs> like it's not, <laughs> That's not how it works. But in Mass Effect, they, they, you can't do that. You couldn't just have a frigate flying around in the atmosphere. Like, no. Or, or, or I mean, uh, right. uh, dreadnought. A dreadnought. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it wouldn't work. So. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So all this, you know, all of all of the w- what we've just spoken about, it makes the frigate class the type of ship, uh, the perfect one to test out a stealth prototype. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Um, all right. Well, it's kind of neat to be getting the background on the some of the Normandy stuff here, but we've got to thank our patrons. So why don't we take a quick break here and uh, we're going to do some of that stuff. We'll be right back. Message coming in. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, a anniversary diamond orb gear a bunch of other items it is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code maxpool m-a-x-p-o-o-l maxpool don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to marvel strike force for sponsoring this episode patching it through i am sovereign and this station is mine i like the sound of that so welcome to some of our newest patrons. We've got a few that joined us this last week. We have Albert C. And then we have uh, Vimborg, who signed up for a year. Awesome. I'm probably butchered your name, but thank you so much. And Commander Shepard himself. Welcome. Welcome, Commander Shepard. And Becky Upgraded. Thank you, Becky. And Sadie Cakes 09. Thank you so much to all of you who have signed up and helped. Uh, Commander Shepard even commented on the most recent episode, the Mary Kill Well You Know episode, and said this was so hilarious I had to join Patreon, even though this is the only I've only ever listened to two episodes. <laughs> so thank you, Commander Shepard. We really appreciate it. And to everybody who supports the show, thank you so very much. We're up to 56 patrons. Maybe we could hit 60. That would be amazing. Amazing. And a big shout out to our Shepherd Tier 5 patrons. We've got uh, Kolka Shins, uh, Captain Shanko, Kira C, Lieutenant Tosina, Pipe Man, and William. Thank you so much to all of you guys. If you're curious about all the different rewards or ways that you can help us support the show, then go to patreon.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast and check out all the different tiers. And um, we, gen- we genuinely appreciate this. Like you guys are half of the equation that enables us to do the show so your support financially and also your support by sharing it with your friends or ratings and reviews all of that kind of stuff very 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 important we could be doing the show but if it wasn't for you guys the show wouldn't be successful so thank you to everybody um also i see here you have a little uh 
note about a ratings milestone that we crossed. You want to call this one out? Yeah. Uh, so I, I check periodically on Spotify and, and sometimes when I'm listening to our own episodes on Spotify, I'll see it, but we just passed 300 ratings on Spotify. Uh, so 300 ratings, that's not, that's not, you know, anything to, uh, like overlook to scoff at. Uh, Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, You know, especially with how few people actually take the time to rate, like it just makes you go, okay, well, how many more people are actually listening to the show? That's pretty amazing. Right. Yeah. And at that with 300 ratings, we're still at a 4.9 star average. Last time I checked. That's awesome. Well, pat ourselves on the back. Good job us. Also, thank you so much to everybody who has taken the time to do that because that is absolutely huge. Um, if you don't know the way that we show up in rankings, when people search podcasts or put in mass effect and search for podcasts is a hundred percent dependent on the number of listeners and the average rating and how often ratings come in. That's another one of those variables. So rating the show is huge. So thank you to everyone who takes time to do that, whether it's on Spotify or Apple podcasts, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and one last note, join us on discord. We love having you guys join us in discord, chat about stuff. Um, we've got over, <laughs> do you want to know how big the uh, robots radio discord is now over 2,500 people on our discord? Oh, holy cow. Have joined That's our a discord. small village. Yeah. Now, not everybody's active all the time, but that's how many people are following the discord and a, a good number of them are, are pretty active. I think the active number is around four to 500 people actually chime in every week or so. Um, so yeah, come join us on there. Come chat about stuff. We'd love to have you join us. All right, let's move on with the rest of the show. Spit it out. Or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. Okay. So we talked about the Alliance and their, hold on the Normandy and what frigates are. Um, But let's talk a little bit more about what makes the Normandy specifically stand out. Right. So in short, it's incredibly high tech and uh, that high tech makes it able to do stealthy things. And like I said, even though it's an Alliance ship, it's not just the work of human beings. Um, So that's that's what it is in short. Okay. so let's talk about stealth. Now, this is one of those things that I've I've been wondering because um, obviously you've played these games a lot more than I have, but now are we talking about like invisibility cloaking? I mean, not like you're thinking, but in terms of reading on instrument, like instruments and scanners. Yeah, basically. Um, so like a, more um, like a stealth, uh, like a, a stealth jet like we have. Yeah. It doesn't exactly. turn invisible like in the MCU or something like this. Right. But it doesn't show up on readings. It doesn't show up on radar. That yeah. kind of thing. And it's it's interesting you relate it to a stealth jet um, because the Normandy, I learned this from the art of the Mass Effect book, the design of the Normandy, it was designed to look like the Delta Wing fighters uh, oh. or the Concorde jet. Okay. Yeah. So, so you know. yeah, it was designed to look like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I'm sorry to burst anyone's bubble about... Um, stealth fighter jets in today's world but they are not invisible <laughs> they, they are not it's not yeah it's not like the ships in the marvel universe where they just go bloop and they yeah. disappear yeah and you just see wonder woman <laughs> right. Along. <laughs> right you just see shepherd and joker just floating along just um, sitting back in the chairs riding riding around in, in the sky <laughs> yep. yeah. um no, basically. So th- let's talk about the stealth. The stealth is 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 a lot more um, technical than that. They have something that is cutting edge called an internal emission sink. 
And according to the Codex, starships, like all starships, not just the Normandy, but starships generate a ton of heat when they're doing their thing. And yeah. they're zipping around the cosmos and shooting lasers and things. Engines, um, sure. <laughs> star, just support. starship things. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense to uh, propel a lot of weight. You need a lot of force. And starships are incredibly heavy. And, you know, this is mass effect fields aside. Um, and to generate it, you need to burn or conduct electricity through something. Heat is often the byproduct of that, even in our own world. Mm-hmm. That's just thermodynamics. All the time. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I remember enough from thermodynamics class <laughs> to know that heat is the byproduct of so many different uh, physical mechanisms in our own world, and yep. the heat needs to be shed somehow. And when you put that heat against the absolute zero cold of space, any amount of heat is recognizable. Oh, sure. Even our even our body heat right, would right. be. It's like it's like turning on out. it's like turning on a, a tiny light in a dark room. Like you're immediately going to notice yes. it, even I if it's a human, small little light. Yeah, the human threshold for seeing light, I think, is incredibly, incredibly sensitive. I, I'm pretty sure, like, I don't know if it's a myth or if it's true, mm-hmm. but I'm sure you've heard the thing, like, human beings can see a candle lit in pure blackness a mile away. Oh, yeah, I would imagine that that makes sense. I, yeah. mean, the thing, I mean, we can see stars. Stars are light years away. I mean, yes, they're the size of the sun or bigger, but light year objects away in, in a dark sky, we can still yeah, see exactly. them. I mean, it, exactly. you know, a candle at a, at a distance of a mile is probably pretty similar in the, in the amount of light output by the time it reaches your eye. And this would mean that it would be very easy for any ship with thermal detection of any capability to pick out an approaching ship in a given range. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, when the Normandy does this, uh, but when, when the Normandy does away with the heat um, and recaptures the heat, uh, the ship generates in heat sinks that are built within the ship's hull. So like, so, it's like the heat is going to come out, but the heat sinks in the hull absorb it before it leaves the ship. Yeah, it's almost like getting a fart trapped in your clothes. <laughs> okay, all right. Sure, cool. That, that was ad-lib. That wasn't in the notes, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Or uh, Dutch just ovening a, your, your spouse. Yeah, don't fart in a wetsuit, by the way. That's a pro <laughs> tip to anyone going scuba diving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it will get trapped in there. Um, but uh, yeah, basically the Normandy is shedding a lot of heat because it's a frigate and it's going through space and it would be very visible just like any other starship on any type of thermal detection scanner. Uh, but the Normandy absorbs the heat that it had just let out. And it's because of these heat sinks that are built within its own hull. Mm-hmm. It would be like a more apt comparison as if, if you had your car's exhaust and heat from the engine compartment and if that heat could be stored within the chassis. Mm-hmm. So then on a heat sink, like not that it matters, but on a heat signature, your car would look ice cold. Right. Right. Because it doesn't ex- escape. Yeah. Yeah. Right. My question is, do they have refrigeration in the outer par- part of the hull that would mask it? They would I, have to. I wonder. Yeah, maybe. I wonder if that heat is then used and regen, like used and input back into like the power structure of the ship. Kind of like... um like a Prius and its brakes, mm. you know, like a, yeah. like a hybrid electrical car or even probably regular electrical cars. When you brake, it creates heat and friction, but it uses that the energy of the brakes and re inputs some of that back into the drive chain. Or, um, 
you have a liquid CPU cooler, I'm, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. I have a liquid CPU yeah. cooler. And so the way that those work for anyone that doesn't know is that you, it doesn't just like throw water at your CPU. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? that, 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 <laughs> that would be bad. That would be bad. That would break. Um, but no, what hap- what a liquid CPU cooler looks like is there's a little compartment that sits on top of your CPU. And then there are pipes from that compartment to a radiator. And the radiator sits beside fans, which bring in air and pass it over the radiator, which cools the water and sends the cool water to your CPU. Right. So the heat is pulled from the CPU to the radiator. And then when the water comes back in return, it's already cool again. Right. Exactly. So uh, I'm wondering if there's similar technology for Normandy like that. um, But instead of water, it's something more powerful like liquid nitrogen. Yeah. You would just need to keep on supplying and cooling the liquid nitrogen. I mean, it it would take a lot of energy. Sure. If yeah. there were apartment, or if there were a compartment of the ship that were directly exposed to the absolute zero of space, you would only need to calculate the amount of time that it that liquid would need it. to be exposed to it. That's right. To cool it down. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But then, I mean, I, again, I'm not a physicist or an engineer, but I would imagine that heat would leak out of the system somewhere. So it would right. be very, it'd be very tricky. Which is part of why this is like fantasy prototype type technology right so right and incredibly yeah. expensive at that um so that was a, a long derailment but basically <laughs> as you as you can imagine something's got to give it can't do this forever uh and eventually the normandy has to exhale all of that heat before it cooks the crew alive mm-hmm. um so the amount of time that the normandy can hold its breath so to speak is f- it ranges from a few hours in silent running mode that's what they call it silent running to it could be days long if it's just like coasting through a system. Um, it all depends on how much energy it's using and therefore, you know, how fast the ship is going. Right. So, okay. So if we know anything about physics and flight, it's that when you add something like say a feature or equipment, it always needs to be powered by something else, right? Which adds weight. How does the Normandy pull all of this off uh, with this internal emissions sink? Like, do we know more about that? So here's the way that the lore explains it. Uh, and I'm not saying that this is airtight. I'm not saying it's you know copacetic in terms of physics or electronics. But what the lore says is that it would be thanks to its Tantalus drive core. And here's what the codex tells us about the Tantalus. The Tantalus drive generates mass concentrations that the Normandy, quote, falls into, allowing her to move without the use of heat-emitting thrusters. The core not only makes the Normandy quiet and fast, but also means that she can run at FTL speed for much longer before having to discharge the drive. Wait, so, Um, okay, so it's actually traversing space using mass fields rather than thrust. I'm assuming that that would mean only when it's running in the silent running mode. Right. So that noticeably cuts down on heat because now you don't have to redirect the heat from the thrust, the thruster engines. Um, yes. So now you're just using mass fields, which don't have anything to do with heat dissipation at all. Right. Right. Which means that it can just use that to travel. So now the only heat it has to deal with is from the other systems on the ship rather than from the thrust. That's what I'm yeah. gathering here. That's what I that's what I gathered as well. Um, And it's interesting that it so it says that it generates mass concentrations that the Normandy falls into. And again, I'm not a physicist, but what I'm gathering from this is that it's generating this negative mass field, Mm -hmm. which is so potent and so heavy 
that the mass of the Normandy itself is pulled into it. It's like, I was once told by a science teacher that science doesn't suck. It pulls. (laughs) (laughs) That was like one of his favorite things to say. Uh Um, So yeah, it's not, it's not, (laughs) it's not sucking it. It's pulling it. Um, And so the negative mass that it would generate, it pulls the Normandy and my guess is that this in, in, that this would generate an incredible amount of heat because the way that the uh, FTL drive cores work in Mass Effect is that they run electricity through element zero. Mm-hmm. And like we said earlier, when you're running electricity through something and you're burning something, it generates heat. Um, and since this drive core is massive, uh, it's twice the size of normal drive cores, it would generate a massive amount of heat. Um, so we can, and we can talk about the specifics of how drive cores work on another episode, maybe one about FTL flight. Um, but the point is here that not only are frigates stealthy, but they're fast, they're incredibly fast, but the Normandy is faster than most of them. And I was thinking about an apt comparison <laughs> of this and, and the, the, the TLDR here is that Shepard has like this super cool EV Lambo. Yeah. Yeah. He's Yeah. Yeah, he's the guy that pulls up to the party. Everyone's like, what? Who is that? Right. But yeah. it's not like a loud muscle car pulling up to the party. Right. It's just silent Batmobile. Just, right. The, the door opens and then he comes out. Everyone's like, yeah. what? I didn't even realize someone pulled up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and Tally is amazed by how the Alliance fits it into such a small ship. And like you mentioned, when, when one side, when you change one side of an equation, uh, the other side needs to be balanced. And so the Tantalus is twice the size, which adds presumably twice the weight or maybe four times the weight if yeah. it's exponential. Yeah. Some, um, some large amount for sure. But it must account for its own weight by adjusting the Normandy's mass. So it's almost like a self-solving equation in the science that they've cooked up behind this. Mm-hmm. Um, Joker says it still affects the balance of the ship, the extra large drive core, mm-hmm. which is probably like adding. <laughs> it's probably like adding a, like a like a Apache helicopter engine to a smart car. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not that extreme, but you, I mean, what you're saying here is that right. she's got a badonka donk. Right. And it's it's going to affect the handling. Uh, right. Maybe the Normandy fishtails a lot. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe but, she's a uh, yeah. She's slipping and sliding all over this. But since Joker's amazing, Joker says it's, it's nothing I can't handle. Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, and and given how successful the Normandy's testing went, by the way, uh, they planned on making the Normandy its own class of ships like its own class of frigates. So they were planning on making Normandy class ships. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be the only one of its kind. And then they could be in the wolf pack together. Right. And they could welcome more people, <laughs> people into their wolf pack. Their solo wolf pack. Yeah. Can you imagine how badass an entire group of Normandy frigates would be? You got one flying around the galaxy and it already saved it. Yeah. It would be friggin awesome. Oh uh, my God. That was yes. Cheers to that. Um, and for those listening, I just raised a glass, uh, <laughs> all beer to be specific. <laughs> um, and get this, there is another Normandy class ship out there somewhere. We know this because in Mass Effect 2, there is this uh, like a little news bulletin going on. And they say that the Alliance did create another one. They hmm. did create another one named the SSV Einjalut. Einjalut here of that. That's, we that's know not good. 
Uh, wait, what did you say? I said I enjoyed hear of that. Oh my god, <laughs> that was a real stretch. That was a stretch. Um, now we we the name Angelou might not ring a bell to a lot of people, and that's okay. It didn't for me. We know that the the alliance names their frigates after famous battles in human history, and we're all familiar with the Battle of Normandy. I think. Um, if you're not, catch up on your World War II history. <laughs> Watch 24 hours of History Channel, and I guarantee you will be. It'll show up. It'll show up. Yeah. Um, but I, I had no idea what the Battle of Angelut was, so I did a little light research. Uh, this was not in the lore, by the way. This was just part of real human history. Um, <laughs> turns out that Angelut, the Battle of Angelut, was a pivotal turning point for the Mongolian Empire when in September 1260, uh, they were beaten back by the Bari Mamluks of Egypt. Hmm. And it was the first time that Mongol expansion was checked. It was the first time that the Mongolian Empire was decisively defeated and permanently quashed on the battlefield. It was That's a, it was a, huge. Yeah, they were blitzing through all of Asia and yeah. part of Europe. Yeah, the Mongolian... If you, if you are not aware of the Mongolian uh, invasions across um the middle east and europe uh, like and, and even parts of asia i mean that's where they started like holy crap they were just like head and shoulders above everyone else when it came to battlefield tactics and, and equipment because of the uh the um horse archers primarily right and and you know it, it's more distant history for us than normandy is so i don't think that we understand the true scale of what a big deal this battle would have been mm -hmm. because the mongols were raging through asia for centuries yeah um, oh yeah yeah they were kind of unstoppable so this was huge it was not like nazi germany uh which you know given you know to be fair it did conquer a lot of land faster but normandy was a pivotal turning point in world war ii the uh, battle of angelut was a pivotal turning point in asia in the in the 13th century um so interesting uh, bit of history there uh and it seems that the alliance's technological edge for these ships for the ssv normandy was compromised because the stg the salarian special tasks group mm -hmm. had acquired blueprints of the normandy stealth systems and are reportedly working on implementing it in their own dreadnoughts so the Salarians are trying to build stealth dreadnoughts, stealth battleships. That's crazy. That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, so that's how advanced the Salarians were. It took 120 billion credits to make one prototype stealth scout, scout frigate. Uh, and it took, you know, the ingenuity of both the Turians and the human beings to make it. And the Salarians are just like, you know, by themselves, uh, making stealth fucking battleships. <laughs> That's nuts. And think about the power cells on those things. Like, my God. Talk about badonkadonks. If you needed twice the size of a normal drive core for a scout frigate, mm -hmm. you'd probably need like eight times or ten times the size of a normal drive core for a dreadnought. Yeah, or bigger. Yeah, that's. Ugh. And where are they going to get the ESO for that? I don't know. Um, that could be its own source of conflict in the galaxy. Uh, ESO wars. Mm -hmm. um, now. It's toward the end of the episode here, and you may have noticed I didn't bring up any of the weapon or armor or shield upgrades that we install to the Normandy in Mass Effect 2. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because that's the Normandy SR2, and there's so much cool technology that's added onto it from Cerberus, um, but I think we'll need an extra episode for that version of the ship. 
Yeah, that's that's true. Um, also, we didn't really bring up Anderson in this episode, which is interesting because he was the CEO when we started Mass Effect 1. Um, how did he become the commanding officer of the Normandy? Do we know? Yes, we do. Um, and it's actually told to us in Mass Effect 3, so we have to wait quite a while until we get to this little bit of often overlooked lore, but but mm-hmm. this is a pretty interesting topic uh, that we can get into in the bonus episode this week. All right, so you heard it. Well, that's what we're going to be t- doing right now if you're in the live show or in just a few days when the bonus episode shows up for listeners. Um Man, this is so cool. I can't wait till we get even into deeper stuff with the, the SR2 and and all of that stuff. But um, yeah, awesome. Do you have anything you want to share before we head out? Yeah, I do. Um, so I'm streaming every week on Twitch, of course, streaming mm-hmm. Mass Effect on Saturdays. Uh, my first playthrough of Dragon Age on Thursdays and a rotating slew of games on mondays uh before we before we air this live but that depends on if i have the time but the more exciting part is that this coming saturday i'm celebrating my twitch anniversary nice Uh, so yeah it's been one year on twitch um and i can't believe how supportive this community has been I'm, i'm getting on average um now on average about 20 to 35 25 to 35 viewers every every stream which is like crazy that's awesome uh, that's so cool uh, but for part of the twitch anniversary thing I'm, I'm wanting to give back uh to the community so i'm gonna buy uh I haven't decided what it is yet, but I'm going to buy like a statue, maybe a statue of the Normandy. Mm -hmm. uh, And I will count every sub or every 300 bits as one entry into a raffle. Nice. Uh, And then uh, then at the end of the raffle, and I'm going to limit it so that people can't just buy a lot of entries and virtually secure their their bid. Um, Sure. But at the end of the raffle, uh, I will send the statuette or maybe the Mass Effect helmet that they sell in the Bioware store. Yeah. yeah. I'll send that to uh, whoever wins the raffle. Oh, that's so cool. All right. Well, good luck, yeah. everybody. That go go join the streams. Get in on that. Oh, yeah. That sounds awesome. At in seven the legend on Twitch. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, my stuff is still going. All of my shows. If you're into Fallout, if you're into the new expansion for Elder Scrolls Online, which like just dropped today for PC, any of that stuff. If you like those games, I talk about the lore on my own lorecast for those shows. Uh, also, The Witcher and um, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings up to F- episode fifteen, and it's going awesome. Um, so go check that stuff out. You can find all my stuff at robotsradio.net. You can always join us live on the Robots Radio channels on YouTube and Twitch and Facebook or on the occasions that I stream other stuff. I've actually been working on a lot of music and other things like that lately. Um, I haven't been able to stream as much as I want to, but if I do, that's the channel you can find me. And uh, that's what we got for this week. We'll be back next week. Talk a little bit more about Anderson's origins on the Normandy until then, or at least not next week in a few days. But you guys know how it is. And chat, stay here. We'll be right back. We're going to double up on our episode recording tonight. So we'll see you in just a minute. All right, everybody. Have a good night. We'll see you guys later. Thanks for tuning into the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.